Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Hey everybody, good morning and uh, welcome to Easter here at Christ Community Chapel. I am so, so glad that you are here. Welcome those of you at our East service, those of you who are tuning in online, those of you wherever you are in this building right now. Welcome. It's good to have you. All right, this is the weekend where we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And it's really hard to overstate the importance of the resurrection. It is the event that changed the Roman Empire in less than 200 years. It is the event now 2,000 years later. It's being celebrated by more than 2 billion people around the globe. But maybe more importantly, it is the event that can actually change everything about you. This is what Paul the Apostle says in 2 Corinthians, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. What Paul is saying is that if Jesus resurrected from the dead, that means that we too will resurrect. And that means that this life is not all there is, that death is not the end, that one day all sad things will come untrue and that your story ends well, if it's true. And I say that because Christianity is the only world religion that rests on a historical event, not on teaching. There is teaching in Christianity, but Christianity rests on the historical event of the death and the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. If that did not happen, the Bible actually says we are the most pitied of all people. We are fools for believing it. But if it did happen, then everything is true that I just told you. All right. So we are in a series. We've been in a series on the Gospel of Mark. We've been calling Jesus the one true king. And we're at the end of the series. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 16. Uh, you can also look it up on your phone or a tablet. If you're going to use one of our Bibles in the pew here in the sanctuary or over in East Hall, then it's on page 802. Page 802. And if you don't have a Bible uh, and you'd like uh, a Bible, it would be our privilege to give you your first Bible. You can just drop by the Next Steps area uh, on your way out and grab one. All right. I'm going to uh, have three points. And if you're new or a guest, I always have three points. All right? There's a reason for that. One, I want you to know where I'm going. But the other is when I get to my third point, you'll know I'm almost done. Right? 
because I think it's always good to know when a speaker's wrapping it up, all right? So uh, these are the three points I want to pull out of these eight verses that we had read to us. Uh, I think in these verses, Mark provides us with, he gives us something for our confidence, he gives us something for our comfort, and he gives us something for our joy. Confidence, comfort, and joy. And it is my deep hope, my prayer, that every single one of us leaves this service with more confidence, more comfort, and more joy. All right, let's talk about confidence first. I think one of the misconceptions about Christianity is that in order to have faith, you need to put your brain on a shelf. Don't think, just believe. But when you read the Bible, what you'll find is the Bible encourages, encourages us to think more, not less. I actually think sometimes uh, skeptics are guilty of thinking too little about the resurrection. And when I say that, what I mean is that it's easy to say we, we know the resurrection didn't take place because we know that dead people don't rise from the dead. So the disciples must have made it up, and then they stop there. And if that's you, I get that. I mean, I understand. But I just want to challenge you to try to think a little harder, a little more deeply, to see if that's really the best explanation for what happened on that day. All right, and this is what I mean. I want to point out two things. One is uh, who was not there at the tomb and who was there at the tomb. Now, who was not there, Jesus was not there, uh, hence the empty tomb, right? But the other people that weren't there were the disciples, right? Not a single disciple was at the tomb. And I say that because I have read where people will say, well, you know, in the first century, the resurrection caught on because people in the first century are more primitive. They're less sophisticated, more gullible, more superstitious. So it was easier for them to believe in the resurrection. But if that was true, then the disciples would have been there waiting for Jesus to resurrect on that morning. But not one of them was there. And I, you know, if you read the Gospel of Mark, three different times, Jesus tells his disciples straight up, I'm going to die. Three days later, I'm going to resurrect. I'm going to die. Three days later, I'm going to resurrect. I'm going to die. Three days later, I'm going to resurrect. And there wasn't a single disciple on Sunday who went, wait, how long has it been? It's been about three days. Wonder what was it that Jesus said about three days? Uh, my great uncle Clifton, uh, on my mom's side, was the last man hanged in Virginia. A little colorful family history. Uh, uncle Clifton uh, was convicted of murder. He actually uh, killed his wife. But uh, to be fair, uh, he was actually trying to kill his son-in-law, and she stepped in front. Things happen, right? <laughs> so Uncle Clifton, before he was hung, his final request was for his guitar, and he sang a song, which I think is actually kind of cool. But he also, and I have the newspaper article that details all of this, right? Before he went to the gallows, he told people, listen, uh, I'm going to die, but I'm going to resurrect. I'm, gonna, I'm coming back. So before you put me in the ground, check. Right. So they hung him. 
and they put them in a pine box. On the way to the cemetery, they stopped, pulled off, pried open the box to see how Uncle Clifton was doing. Sadly, he wasn't doing well. Right? <laughs> but they checked. They checked. Why wouldn't the disciples even go and check when Jesus said he was going to resurrect? You know why? Because they were skeptics. Right? They didn't think it was any more possible in the first century than we do in the 21st century. That's why none of the disciples were there. But you know who was there. You know, Mark tells us. These three women, and he names them. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome. Right? He actually uh, names them three times. He names them twice in chapter 15 and then once in chapter 16. Now, I, I've told you throughout this series that the Gospel of Mark is the shortest of the four Gospels. Mark is the most economic in his use of words. So why would Mark uh, go ahead and name these women three different times? You know, there's a British scholar named Richard Bauckham, and he is uh, an expert in historiography. And he says it was a common practice in the first century for someone who was writing history to name the people who are still alive who can verify what, they're, what he's writing. So what Mark was doing was, what was kind of an ancient footnote. You know, when you're, you're reading an article and you read something that you think is a little bit outrageous and you, you look down and you see a number and you go and it shows you the source. Right? That's what... Mark is doing. He said, this is what happened. These are my sources, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, Salome. They're still alive. Look them up, which is pretty gutsy if you're making up a story to name the sources who are still around. But the other thing is that there were women. All of them were women. Right? And I, I point that out because uh, 80 years after the resurrection, uh, there was a philosopher named Celsus who hated Christianity. And one of his strongest arguments against the resurrection was that uh, the primary witnesses were all women. What Celsus said, basically, is that we all know women are hysterical. We all know they're unreliable. That's why they can't be witnesses in a court of law. Now, I know that's terrible. You know, that's misogynistic and all that, but that was the culture at the time, which begs the question, if you're making up this story... Why would you make women your primary witnesses? And the answer is you wouldn't. The only reason Mark includes that detail is because that's the way it happened. And the women are the ones who were at the empty tomb and heard the message that Jesus was risen. All right? Something for our confidence. Not something for our comfort. I want you to take a look at what the, the message of the angel is for the women. Verses 6 and 7, it says, And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go. Tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Do you, do you recognize how laced with grace that message is? that Jesus tells the angel to tell the women to tell the disciples to meet him in Galilee. The reason I say that is laced with grace, just let's review how the disciples have done the last 72 hours, 
Right on Thursday night in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is clearly distressed. And he goes to his disciples, and for the first time, the only time, he says to his disciples, listen, guys, please pray for me. Pray for me. I have never felt like this. But imagine what that was like for Jesus to come up to somebody and say, would you pray for me? And every single disciple who said, yes, I'll pray for you, fell asleep. They just, out. And then when they woke up, Jesus was being arrested, and every single disciple ran for their lives. And then none of the disciples showed up on Sunday morning for his resurrection. And still, the message is, Tell my disciples. And Jesus doesn't even have a snide comment like kind of in that. He doesn't say, tell my disciples. If they're rested enough, maybe they could meet me in Galilee, right? And that's not even the, the whole message. He says, tell my disciples and Peter. Well, Peter was one of the disciples. Why would that be part of the message? And the reason that was part of the message is that Peter had done something that none of the other disciples had done. He had denied Jesus three times. He had said, I I don't know him. And the last time it says he denied him with a curse. Now, I don't know what he said, but I do know that Peter was a fisherman. And I know the saying that he cusses like a sailor, right? So I'm assuming it was pretty colorful. And I'm sure Peter thought, maybe I'm not included. And so the message from Jesus was make sure Peter knows He's still apart, and that means that you cannot fail enough for Jesus to give up on you. You cannot fail enough for Jesus to give up on you. And for some of you, that's the thing you needed to hear more than anything else today. And Jesus takes Peter, and Peter is the one who preaches the very first sermon. Peter is the one who connects Jews to Gentiles and opens up the message of Jesus to the whole world. Jesus, or Peter, becomes the leader because Jesus uses people who have failed like, pe- pe- like Peter, people who have failed like you, people who have failed like me. He still uses us. What I want you to know is that grace is not just the entrance into the kingdom of Jesus. It's what the kingdom of Jesus runs on. You cannot fail him enough to make him give up on you. And now, finally, something to give us joy. So these these women, they come to the tomb, and they have burial spices. We know that from the other accounts, because they don't think Jesus is going to resurrect either. They're going to anoint him for burial. And they must have been just devastated on the walk. I mean, Friday, these are the women who actually watched Jesus be crucified, which must have been horrible. And then Saturday was the darkest day they had ever known. It seems like light and life had been sucked out of the world. And then they walked to the tomb, and instead of finding a tomb with a big rock in front of it, the rock was rolled away, and they come face to face with an angel who says, he is not here, he is risen. And you can almost feel the, the goosebumps that must have just taken over them and the, their heart racing. They can hardly believe what they're in. They've never heard any such good news. It, it was news enough that would replace sorrow with joy. And I, I read a book uh, not too long ago 
uh, called The One Story, and the, the subtitle was uh, Hollywood's Argument for the Christian God. Hollywood's Argument for the Christian God. And what the author claimed is that every time Hollywood really wants to make some money, when they want people to flock to a movie, they, they use the same storyline. Things start out good, then things take a huge dive, and it seems like all hope is lost. Things could not get darker. Some kind of almost miraculous thing takes place. The story is saved. Sadness is changed, transformed to joy, and the story ends well. That's the movement. And the author says the reason that people flock to see that movie is because that's the story that's imprinted on the human heart. It's the story we long for. And what the author says is the story we are really longing for is this story, because what we really need is Jesus. Right? That was one part of the message. Right? He is not here, he is risen. But the other part of the message to the women was, go tell his disciples. And i got to stop there. Why did the angel need the women to carry the message to the disciples? Why didn't the angel do it himself? I mean... Don't angels have wings? I mean, wouldn't it have been easier for the angel to, you know, I think that angel should have had a very short to-do list, like tell the women, check, tell the disciples, check, don't forget Peter, check, check, <laughs> easy peasy. Right? Instead, they say to the women, you go tell the disciples, you know why? Joy. Joy. When was the last time you were the one that was able to deliver really, really good news? You can look up all kinds of clips on YouTube of people delivering just great, great news and the joy you get not just from hearing great news but from giving great news. If you want to see how that works, if you are a family with children that would you know, love to go to Disney, if you and your spouse decide, you know, we're going we're gonna to make this trip to Disney, you decide it, the two of you, uh, don't tell your kids all at once. Instead, call your oldest in. Tell them, let them go crazy, and then say, you go tell your brothers and sisters, right? Your house will rock, right? Because there is joy not just in hearing good news, there's joy in giving the good news. I tell you that because if you're here because someone invited you, a friend or a family member or a neighbor, you know why they invited you? Joy. Joy, they want to be the ones that introduce you to the whole idea that if the resurrection of Jesus is true, then it's all true. And if you believe that Jesus lived in your place and actually died in your place and then resurrected, then for you, this life is not all there is, that death is not the end, that one day for you, all sad things can come untrue, and for you, your story can end well. And Mark gives us eight verses to give us something to build our confidence, something to give us comfort, something to give us joy. I hope you have all three, because I bring you the same message that the angel brought, which is he is not risen, or he is not dead. He is risen. Don't forget. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, I'm so grateful. I'm grateful that uh, the proof that you love us, that you love everyone, no matter what is going on in our lives, that, 
The proof that you love us is right here, that you loved us enough to send your son Jesus to live in our place and die in our place and resurrect. And you don't make us believe with no evidence. Instead, you give us so much evidence that really faith is just a small step. I pray for every person here that you would help us, help us all, that let the power of the resurrection actually change the way we approach our lives, the way we experience today and tomorrow and the day after. I pray that there won't be a single person that leaves this place without confidence, comfort, and great joy because of Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.